We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much, so many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Ave Maricela. Steve Cunningham with Sense of Fidelium again coming at you on the 23rd of January in the year of the Lord 2020 with Eric Ibarra of ericibarra.com and you're on Reason Theology YouTube channel, right, too? Yep, yep. Uh, anybody uh, that talks about orthodoxy, I just say Ita and Eric can send them to his way. So, Eric, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, uh, thank you so much for having me on. I, it's an honor to be on this channel. Um, yeah, so uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm a uh, Catholic blogger. I have the website. I'm a co-host over at Reason and Theology. Um, in 2013, I reverted to the Catholic Church. Uh, I had spent many years outside uh, because I had left, and when I was a teenager, I had left the Catholic Church and uh, spent years in atheism, agnosticism and all kinds of skeptical uh, ideology. And uh, I did uh, have a conversion experience when I went to university in uh, 2005 is when I uh, really made a conscious effort and believed in Jesus Christ through uh, an evangelical Reformed Baptist missionary on the campus. And uh, since then, uh, I've been ever since that day, uh, I've been studying the Bible every day, uh, studying whatever I can. And, uh, you know, spent years in the, in the Protestant world. Uh, I thought I was going to go into ministry as a Protestant and, uh, the Lord had different plans. Uh, I, I was quickly turned to history and I started reading history looking for historic and spiritual foundations for my faith. And there was just a number of things going on in uh, my Protestant experience, which uh, we take hours going through them, even one by one. But it really just let, let it, it showed me that uh, the fullness of Christianity was missing. And so I found a nice little cozy space place in the high church Anglican uh, world. And I, you know, I had the sacraments, quote unquote. Uh, I had the ecumenical councils. I had bishops. We believed the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Um, but we didn't have to stick our neck out for some of the harder teachings. 
you know, uh, of the past, like canonizing saints, uh, asking saints for intercession, although some Anglicans do that. Um, in fact, many Anglicans do that. Um, but it's, there was a lot of freedom in what you could accept and not accept uh, from the, uh, you know, the Catholic and Orthodox corpus of teachings. But uh, as I was there in my cozy place, uh, I began to study more and I fell under a deep conviction that um, I was going to have to face uh, another move, another transition, because the, the Anglican church I was part of was uh, a, one of the continuing Anglican communions, which we had nothing to do with Canterbury because we didn't want anything to do with the liberal fallout that took place in the, in the, in the late 60s, early 70s. And um, we were just a sliver of a break off of a sliver of another breakaway. And uh, in fact, our communion didn't even have a bishop for a long time. And, and once we got a bishop, things started getting, uh, you know, then, then we were able to ordain. But I just realized that the, the, the core doctrine of the visible unity of the church, the oneness, the holiness, the apostolicity, and the Catholicity of the church, as we say in the creed, was missing. And that was an essential, essential element to all of Christian belief for so many centuries. And so I, I came to the crossroads of looking at Eastern Christianity or, or looking at coming back to my childhood uh, upbringing, which was Roman Catholicism, which I didn't really have a, uh, an intellectual formation with anyway. So this was kind of like a fresh start. And so... Uh, I just, I hit the books. Uh, I put my knees down, prayed to God uh, fervently. I went to daily mass, asking God for guidance, asking him to deliver me from error and to make me see uh, what truth he wanted me to have to love him with. And um, it took a while, but uh, I chose to, to come. I, I went to, I found a priest, a recommended priest, uh, and we met at a graveyard, and I did my uh, confession, and I came back into the church. Uh, so, but uh, studying Eastern Christianity was just amazing, uh, and I, I visited Orthodox churches. Uh, sadly, I had not visited a Coptic Orthodox church yet. Um, the one that was next to me were in my old hometown. I heard such good things about it. You know, the they everybody takes their shoes off when they walk in. The uh, the women are on one side and the men are on the other side, completely separated. You don't hear a, a female voice at all in chanting. So I, I just it was so it, I I wanted to go so bad. I just never found a, a time to go. But uh, when I did come into Catholicism, I knew that I would I would not drop my study of Eastern Orthodoxy. And so since then I, I continue to study it. And um, you know, that I started writing a lot of notes, personal articles, and, but I wanted more feedback and interaction with other people who were studying these things. And that's what made the website that I had, which was uh, basically making public my personal thoughts, my personal notes. And, um, and so that's where I, I got, you know, the idea of making that website. And um, 
I met Michael Lofton online uh, years ago, and uh, uh, both of us um, were a bit disillusioned as we came into Catholicism because, you know, some some uh, apologetics outlets out there, uh, all of whom names won't be mentioned, uh, but they they sometimes give the idea or the impression that if you come into Catholicism, uh, all of the doctrinal unrest will cease. And what uh, Michael Lofton and I found out is that, well, this may be the true church, but we're definitely going to need to learn how to navigate these rough waters. (laughs) Um, So, uh, we just started talking and talking and talking and we just couldn't believe how much you could cram into these, uh, private chat. Uh, I, I was never a AOL guy back years ago. I was never a chat dude. So this was completely new to me. So we just decided, you know what, we, we, we should probably make videos out of this where, you know, show our face, show our name and, uh, just start talking about these ideas and publicizing them. And that's how Reason and Theology got started. Very good. Now, Roman, you brought up about the uh, men on one side, females on the other. There was a, I'm sure you probably read uh, Borromeo's writing on the church, how a church should be made, I think, I guess. I think it's the instructions on how the church is supposed to be made. And it talks about men on one side, women on the other. He has a photo in the book. I'll, I'll try to include it when I edit this and put, it, put the photo. It's really cool. It's the first time I've ever seen it. Yeah, yeah, that'd be nice to put up there on the screen if we can. Yeah, I was like, yeah, so it's not just is what we used to do, <laughs> right? Yeah, the, the, and the uh, and I, I was it was new to me. It was the idea was new to me because uh, I again uh, I was raised in the uh, Novus Ordo uh, Church and um, the the local Catholic parish that I was going to was Novus Ordo when I was growing up, but when I came back to to Catholicism in 2013. Uh, it was very short. I knew what I was getting involved with. Um, and I thankfully had a nice uh, traditional uh, parish that I could go to. Yeah, you like your most. I did not grow up in one like that. Uh, uh, <laughs> I think I got kicked out of my men's group for saying Catholic stuff to a Catholic men's group before Mass. So, Oh, wow. That yeah, that's a, that's a story from another day. But I, that was fun. I'm still hearing it from back home. Uh, oh man! Yeah, yeah they let, the, ba- they let the Baptist guy do John six interpretation one. Uh, anybody want to take a stab at what he just got done saying? <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, I still heard. I think I heard one of the guys from uh, I think it was Tim Staples said that Africa still has groups that do men on one side and women on the other, but I'm not 100 percent sure on that. Um, anyways, to the topic of today, um, like I said, I. Uh, doing apologetics things on here and I don't like speaking on things that I'm not 100% good on well I'm not really 100% good on anything really uh, so I brought you on to bring up orthodoxy and you write like as you said a ton on your website just recently was it a couple of weeks ago you brought up uh oh, it was last month December 1st uh, who speaks for the Eastern Orthodox Church uh, uh I'll butcher his name Father John Balasakis yeah, it's really hard to. I, I just, I just, it, it, it's really hard to to pronounce his name. I think it's uh, Mu, uh, Munitasakis, but I can't, 
I don't want to rely on my pronunciation, but yeah, he's a he's a famous uh, Orthodox theologian philosopher, and um, yeah, he's got a famous book out there. It's called For the Unity of All. Um, the right Reverend Father John, um, and uh, yeah, there you go. Um, and uh, he's a clear speaker, though he doesn't have a rough accent if you listen to him in person. Um, yeah, so that. You know that article was basically on the question of uh, who who speaks for the the Eastern Orthodox Church, and uh, he's one of the he's one of the many theologians in the Eastern Orthodox Church right now that recognizes that there needs to be a a, a universal office of primacy in order to uh, consolidate and and bring together all the diverse wills in the church and put them under you know one voice however um it's quite a challenge because uh in the eastern orthodox church uh so for centuries now they've been banking so much on the idea of uh, consensus and um, majority conciliarity uh, a lot of these elements, which are good in and of themselves, you know, if they're properly farmed and and uh, couched, but it's a it's a it's a difficulty in Eastern Orthodoxy because uh, there's there are many different understandings about the church government, uh, ancient church government, and uh, you know, so he takes a very he takes the position uh, that. There is, by divine right, in fact, he even he even says, uh, by divine right, and he quotes a well-known Orthodox theologian, uh, Metropolitan John of Pergamum, otherwise known as uh, just John Zizoulis uh, as a theologian, in saying that God and Christ divinely established a, a universal primacy in the church. Um, who and what that entails, that's a complete blank underlying, uh, for, for orthodoxy. So he's that, that book that he wrote and I cited in that article is, is really, uh, his contribution to opening up the discussion for his fellow orthodox, uh, that, uh, we need to really, that they need to really just, you know, uh, Number one, admit that there is a universal primacy, and number two, that uh, we need to that they need to uh, uh, figure out what the prerogatives are uh, to help the unity of the Orthodox Church. Because right now, you've got a big split going on in the uh, Orthodox world between, you know, Ukraine. Within Ukraine, you've got uh, a major schism going on. And uh, in support of that, you've got Moscow and Constantinople on two opposite sides. And there's been churches that have been adding themselves to either side of that divide. And it's, it's, uh, it's, be it's becoming just a, a sort of like a crack in the foundations, if you would. Um, and, and so I think that that article came in, I wrote it at a time where you know, this is a time where they really need to start thinking about that. Does any of, any of that have to do with the political strike going on out there? Or? 
Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, it dips into a lot of the background politics. There's no question about it. Um, you know, but in, 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 in European lands, Eastern European lands, they don't really put a, a bifurcation between politics and religion as much as we do here in America. You know, they, they, they obviously want, it's sort of put as an ideal, but you do have po uh, uh, political structures that support uh, one religion or the other. And um, the Ukrainian situation definitely has uh, power politics behind it. There's no, there's no doubt about it. I'm not privy to all the names and, and the, the, you know, where the money's coming from and all that. There, there's a lot of conspiracy uh, commentary on the internet that I'm not privy to. But um, the bottom line is that uh, there is a, a schism right now in the Orthodox Church. And, that, and, and to be fair to them, that it's not uncommon in church history. I mean, sometimes, uh, you know, we get the idea that the church was undivided until uh, the Latin and Greek schism. But, uh, I mean, all you have to do is, 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 is read the first five centuries of the church, and you already have schisms, uh, you know, coming out of the Arian crisis, the Nestorian crisis, and then the Monophysite crisis, um, you've got a lot of divisions going on. And, and between churches that have the same beliefs, too, you know. Um, so it's not uncommon, it's not unheard of, uh, but at the same time, how they're going to manage to uh, unify the Orthodox autocephalous bodies, I think is going to be a huge challenge. So... <clears throat> Uh, the Orthodox groups in itself, they're all nationalized, right? Or naturalistic. Yeah. So, you know, um, when, you know, when, when the, when the church uh, was born and, uh, you know, with the, with the uh, crucifixion of our Lord and his, his uh, and then finally at the uh, outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, the, uh, the churches were planted in cities and what we know from the apostolic missionaries is that they used to uh, plant their churches in uh, some of the main bigger cities in order to make for easy mother missionary churches to go out and plant more churches from. So you, that's why in the New Testament, letters are written to the church of the Corinthians, or the church of Ephesus, the church of Thessaloniki. Um, so there... There's not there's not a problem with uh, you know the category or the or the grouping of a location being uh, matched with a, a a nation city or a people group. Uh, I mean, Paul himself says that uh, his mission was to the Greeks, um, uh, and you know the the apostles were mainly to the Jews and his, his ministry was to the Greeks or to the Gentiles and the barbarians. Um, but uh, as time went on, the, the church became fully Catholic in that it was international. It was, it was for all nations. And uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church is, they, they're still marked by, uh, you know, the category of nation, you know, so you've got the church of uh, Russia, you've got the Church of Constantinople, uh, Church of Athens, Archbishop of Athens and all Greece, you've got the Church of Bulgaria, uh, Albany, Poland, 
Albania, Poland, um, the, Jerusalem. Uh, uh, I mean, we can go on Cyprus. Anyway, um, that's not a problem in and of itself. Um, I think the question when it, it comes to where we're talking here is, are they, do they have one identity as a, an Orthodox church? And I think for the most part, uh, they've been able to manage, you know, even after the breakaway from the, from the Latins in the uh, 11th, 12th, and 13th century, they've been able to manage, but they have had their splits and divisions, which uh, get healed over time, it seems. Uh, like, for instance, there's one right now uh, between Antioch and Jerusalem. A lot of people don't realize that the, the Orthodox, uh, the, the Church of Antioch and the Church of Jerusalem were out of communion. Uh, you, they were out of Eucharistic communion um, because the, uh, I, I believe it was either the Church of Jerusalem or the Church of Antioch ordained a bishop in Qatar, which they disputed over the territory of who that belonged to. And so they ended up severing their communion with each other over it. And so uh, that, you know, that was, uh, I think it's getting healed up right now. So some of your listeners were familiar with it. I think they did come to an agreement to heal that one up. I'm not sure if it's been fully formalized. Um, but you, you do have the potential to have nations uh, sort of colliding in, in, in their religious uh, structures. Uh, in terms of Eucharistic communion like that. Um, but, uh, you know, they, 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 they were unfortunate. You know, the West rose. This is what happened. The Muslims, took, the Muslims came and invaded. Uh, we barely survived. Um, once, once the West rose, Europe, you know, Western Europe, Europe rose, Western powers rose, um, thank God. Uh, the East wasn't as fortunate. So, in, you know, after 1453, with the fall of Constantinople, they were driven north. And so, you know, uh, Byzantium, if it has a successor, it was through the Balkans up to Holy Rus, to Russia. And uh, that, that, that has a major patrimony in the Orthodox Church. It's the largest Orthodox Church in the world. <laughs> You know, so yeah, they 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 are marked by national, you know, national churches. Um, I think I just but, got seen by Russian bots. I'm sorry, you said Russia. We're being kicked <laughs> off now. Sorry, go back. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, but uh, you know, like for instance, one of the one of the one of the offers that is on the table right now for bringing the Orthodox churches together. Uh, the, actually, let me back up. There was an offer for, this was 90 years in the making, 90 to 100 years in the making, where uh, after the Bolshevik Revolution, after the, the, uh, after the uh, uh, you know, the Turkish Empire came down, uh, Constantinople and certain other Orthodox countries retain, regained their freedoms. You had the diaspora where Orthodox Christians were moving uh, out of the, the, the East and they were coming into the New World. Um, the Orthodox hierarchs were recognizing 
hey, we need to have a council because there's a lot of disentangle. There's a lot to disentangle here. So you have overlapping jurisdictions in the in the U.S., for example. Um, there's a difference in how they receive converts. So in the Church of Russia, for example, if you're a Catholic and you convert, uh, they don't rebaptize you. If you're a Catholic priest, uh, they don't go through a full ordination service. They just vest you. But if you go to the Greek Church, uh, there are some Greeks who, at least in the past, they certainly rebaptized Catholics. Nowadays, they typically don't do that. There are some, you know, still some voices in the Greek churches that, that would prefer that. Uh, but they certainly would ordain a Catholic priest if he came to them. So they were trying, they, they, there was a lot to disentangle. So they planned to have a council, the holy and great pan-Orthodox council. Um, and this has been decades in, the, in, in preparation. And finally, in 2016, it was all supposed to happen, you know, in Crete. Um, and all the autocephalous bodies were, were on board. They were ready to go. Um, but towards the end, uh, I know Moscow, Antioch, and, um, and, uh, and some other autocephalous churches decided not to come. And so that kind of ate away at that council's ability to rehabilitate unity in the Orthodox Church, which was really sad because um, guys, you know, famous theologians like Bishop Kalistos Ware, Metropolitan Kalistos Ware, uh, I, I listened in on a lecture of his uh, that he did for the EOTA uh, keynote address a little bit ago, and he was lamenting, you know how uh, a council, a pan-Orthodox council, they don't call them ecumenical councils anymore. They call them pan-Orthodox councils. Um, how a, a council like this, decades in the making, close to 100 years in the making, uh, when it finally came time for the match to be lit, um, was a dud. And, uh, you know, and he compared it with Vatican II, you know, when John the 23rd uh, planned the council, uh, what, in, in 1959, 1960, I forget. And uh, it was, it was, and it actually met, you know, uh, even, even, uh, even if Vatican II itself could, could, you know, make us sort of uh, sad by uh, the outcomes the council at least was able to meet because you, you have a universal office of primacy uh, that's juridical. It's got force behind its command, you know, and uh, it has a coercive nature. But uh, so anyway, the, the Orthodox churches were not successful in meeting in 2016. Um, Although the ecumenical patriarch of Constantinople, he went, he went ahead with that council in 2016. And, and uh, as far as I know, I think he believes the council is valid. Um, but the problem is when you have a government that is divided in its very constitutional theory, you're not going to gain, uh, you're not going to gain uh, unanimity like that. So, uh, you know, basically, Moscow doesn't 
really listen to what Constantinople is saying when it claims to, that that council in Crete uh, is binding. Well, there was one that one just walked out on, right? Uh, yeah, there was uh, actually there was one. Uh, there was a meeting in 2007 uh, at the Ravenna. I think you might be talking about the Ravenna bishop. The the, the Ravenna. It, the, this was a uh, theological um, dialogue in Ravenna that the Orthodox Church, uh, Orthodox representatives and Catholic representatives were there, and uh, the uh, Metropolitan Hilarion of Volokolums, him and a few others, I believe, walked out because there was a dispute over uh, Estonia, Church of Estonia. There was a, there was a, a, a dip, uh, you know, sort of a kerfuffle in ecclesiastical affairs. And since that was not resolved, he walked out uh, on the Ravenna meeting. Um, I'm not sure if anybody walked out of Crete. I do know that there was some heated discussions at the Council of Crete uh, between uh, one of the theologians I already mentioned, the uh, uh, Metropolitan John Zizulus of Pergamum, and um, Hirotheos Vlakos. Um, he's uh, under the Patriarch Bartholomew, and the, the, the dispute was over uh, how we could use the word church to refer to the non-Orthodox. And so they were kind of debating and going back and forth over that question. But um, anyhow, so that's really gone, long and gone. 2016 is history. And uh, the big history right now in the Orthodox Church is Ukraine, and what's going to happen with the two churches in Ukraine that are in schism with each other. Um, and uh, like I was mentioning before, one of the offers on the table right now is the uh, Theophilus of Jerusalem. He's the patriarch of Jerusalem, or the, I'm sorry, he's the archbishop. Yeah, he's the patriarch of Jerusalem. What am I saying? Yes, patriarch of Jerusalem. Uh, he offered for the, the, the major heads of the Orthodox churches to meet in uh, Amman, jo uh, Jordan, in Jerusalem for a, for a sort of like a meeting to resolve the issue in Ukraine. But the problem is, uh, like I said, you have a difference in constitutional theory. Uh, some people believe that only the Patriarch of Constantinople has the right to call councils. So with that belief, uh, Theophilus of Jerusalem's invitation, it, it, it doesn't bear any force. So uh, you already have guys uh, like uh, the Metropolitan of Athens, Archbishop of Athens came out and said that it has no force. Uh, he has no force to invite the, the hierarchs of the church. And the, uh, the, the Archbishop of Cyprus um, came out, said the same thing. Um, and uh, the Patriarch of Constantinople himself said that, uh, you know, so right there you have major heads of the, of the Orthodox churches that are not going to participate in this thing. So Moscow, basically, I think the ball is in Moscow's court right now in this division between Moscow and Constantinople. What is Patriarch Kirill uh, going to do? And um, so we'll see what happens. So speaking of Moscow, when you hear... I got a couple of priests talk about the heirs of Russia being spread. Orthodoxy coming, Orthodox heirs coming into the church. Do you, can you uh, 
basically confirm that in the sense of Orthodox yeah. kind of used the vernacular. Uh, <laughs> about the Mary priests. Yeah, um, well, you know the um, the uh, you know some of the errors of Russia. You know, I, I that's one area that I want to study more. Uh, I I actually bought a book on uh, on the the whole the whole history of Fatima and the the scientific evidence and the, and the theological significance to everything. Um, but if I recall correctly, the errors of Russia uh, was referring to the, the, the non-Christian errors of communism and, and uh, you know, atheism and uh, Marxism that uh, were, you know, basically getting, you know, born out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in, the, in terms of Eastern Orthodox, uh, certain errors that the Catholic Church would say uh, would definitely be on the uh, indissolubility of, of holy matrimony. Um, the, uh, the, the Catholic Church has been quite clear at the Council of Florence, uh, at the Council of Trent, um, where uh, a, a sacramental valid marriage consummated is, uh, it's indissoluble unless, um, uh, you know, unless death do them part. And so the, the Orthodox churches for a long time have been uh, pastorally opened to allowing divorce, uh, that's for sure. Um, there, the conditions for allowing divorce have changed over the centuries. Uh, you had times where the Orthodox Church in certain districts, certain areas, uh, were very much against divorce. Uh, it, it was on very, very, very slim conditions that divorce was permitted. Uh, nowadays, it's obviously much easier, um, and, and that, I think that's because pastoral. They, they, they and their understanding, um, they call it economia, and in the Latin Church, we call it dispensation. Uh, they believe that pastoral arrangements have to be determined by the era, the context, and the situation and the circumstances of the time. So it, it used to be where marriage and matrimony was hallowed, you know, but now with, with the way things are, um, it's, it, you know, it's so easy to, to get into a relationship and break apart, get married, divorce. So uh, naturally their pastoral uh, provisions have, have sort of opened up even more to allow for divorce in, uh, in easier conditions and uh remarriage in slim cases um and so they they have a penitential right for remarriage so they they do they do look down upon remarriage it's not like they hand out trophies for people who are going to be remarried but it, it goes against what we believe is a dogma of the church which is the indissolubility of marriage so in that case uh it's a serious problem uh, because you know, if you have if you have uh, if you have Brittany and Alexis, and Brittany is divorced, and she wants to she wants to consecrate her life to God, but the Catholic bishops are telling her she can't remarry. Well, her her path to heaven has to be celibate. But Alexis, in the same situation 
goes to an Orthodox church and the priest says, well, in your case, we allow for pastoral provisions. You can get married. And then her path to heaven allows for the joy and the accompaniment of a husband. And so it could make for a real difference, you know, um, in, 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 in terms of whether somebody obtains the kingdom of God or not. Did anybody Alexa's machines turn on when he said that? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about Mary? Uh, what are their thoughts <clears throat> on Our Lady? Uh, Immaculate Conception. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the you know, uh, it, it's amazing how the Immaculate Conception has has been uh, ge has generated a lot of uh, dispute between the Orthodox and the and the Roman Catholics. Uh, because the Eastern, the Eastern Christians, uh, going back centuries, they had such uh, a beautiful devotion to Our Lady. And uh, the, the old, old uh, Eastern fathers, like St. Andrew of Crete, St. John of Damascus, uh, St. Germanus of Constantinople, all these guys wrote uh, great things about the Virgin Mary, her sinlessness, her assumption. Um, Orthodox theology has undergone a lot of uh, certain waves in the last 200 years. And uh, I'm not an expert in Orthodox theology, but uh, as an outsider looking in, uh, as a researcher who is leaning up against uh, several well-known Eastern Orthodox theologians, uh, from what I can tell, there has been a number of waves in the Orthodox Church. And so there's been a difference in understanding of concepts like original sin, for example. You know, or original sin, uh, you, it, you should not be shocked if you're sitting down at, uh, at a restaurant or if you're meeting up with some friends and an Eastern Orthodox tells you, oh, our church doesn't believe in original sin. But it's... It's basically a mythological uh, uh, difference. Uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church holds the same councils that we do uh, that were held in North Africa against Pelagianism. Council of Carthage 419, for example, which condemned Pelagianism. It condemned, uh, it taught original sin in its canons. Uh, so... There, there's an article out right now on uh, Eastern Orthodoxy or Western Orthodoxy and Dialogue website. I forgot. But if you type in Eric Lozano, L-O-Z-A-N-O, uh, and type and put in original sin versus ancestral sin, you'll find an article by he himself is Eastern Orthodox. And his article serves as a corrective to a lot of the false understandings that it pervades modern Eastern Orthodoxy when it comes to the Catholic doctrine of original sin. Another, another fellow that you guys might like is uh, Nathaniel McCullum. Uh, he wrote an article, I think it's published on Ancient Faith Radio's website, and uh, he, he himself debunks this myth that there's a difference between the two churches on original sin. And so that brings us to the issue of the Immaculate Conception. You know, what are they there to dispute? Uh, you know, the, the, the theologian we were talking about before, 
the uh, Right Reverend Father John uh, Moons, Munisakis. <laughs> uh, JTM, man. That's it. Follow JTM. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, got, he, he's got a good chapter in that book on original sin and the Immaculate Conception. Uh, and he basically says the Eastern Orthodox Church should have no problem with this teaching because all we're saying is that from the moment she was born or the moment she was conceived, she always had the grace of our Lord with her and uh, cleansed her and prepared her for this divine maternal mission. And uh, we, we, we see evidences of, of this in the Eastern Fathers. Interestingly enough, if there was ever going to be a challenge to it, it would be by some fathers in the West because they were so bent out on, on emphasizing original sin. But uh, it really shouldn't be an issue because, you know, if anything, I think the, the Eastern Orthodox Church might get irritated at this doctrine because uh, we dogmatized it without them, you know, so that, that, that could be one of those issues. A um, little pity, but, but maybe, yeah. Yeah, so, it, it, you know, I, I, there's several Eastern Orthodox theologians that gladly accept the doctrine. Um, and uh, if, you, if you guys type in uh, James Likudis, uh, Eastern Orthodoxy and Immaculate Conception, he wrote an article basically listing several Orthodox fathers and uh, current theologians who, uh, who, who taught the Immaculate Conception. So it, it, I think it's something that you would see more like in the online debate world, you know, where the Eastern Orthodox, uh, sometimes they can kind of take their swords out real quick, you know, with, uh, with Catholic teaching. And, um, and, and I, I, I just think that, uh, you know, I, I just think that it, it's, it's silly because, uh, we we have such a, a common tradition in, with regard to her sinlessness, and uh, her sinlessness is absolute, you know. So, yeah, I, I, the other I guess the other part where they would take issue with the Catholics on the Virgin Mary is uh, is some I, I see some American converts to Orthodoxy they're they're not comfortable with the amount of Marian devotion that Catholics have. You know, they, they and I think that's because a lot of them come from Protestant backgrounds. So when they come from Protestant backgrounds, that uh, they go to Eastern Orthodox churches that are sort of catered to Protestant converts. Um, they're not as heavy on the emphasis with the Virgin Mary, but in the liturgy, uh, I mean, Theotokos, save us, Theotokos, save us from our sins. I mean, uh, that's I mean that's as that's as high as you can get. And the, icon um, the, the beautiful iconic, uh, <laughs> right, right. The iconic, yeah, the the, the uh, iconography of the Virgin Mary is just amazing. So, <clears throat> I I, uh, I really don't know. I, I mean, I wish I could solve that dispute. You know, I know there's one uh, Eastern Catholic theologian. Uh, he's, uh, I think he's uh, by ritual. So he 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 celebrates in the Latin and in the uh, Eastern Cap Byzantine form. Uh, Father Christian Kappas, mm -hmm. uh, he has uh, a book, it's called uh, On the Immaculate Conception, uh, why, why Did uh, Gregory Palamas, Mark of Ephesus, and Dun Scotus Believe in the Immaculate Conception? So that's a good book for your listeners to, and I think he's coming out with a, a forthcoming book, but um, 
he basically goes into the past and shows that the Eastern Church Fathers uh, really had this idea uh, in, in seed form. So I went through just a few sites to pick, because just like anything else, these guys aren't even united on what they don't believe and what they do believe. So I found, I never heard this till today, was they don't believe in purgatory? Well, that's a good question. Uh, you know, uh, they let's put it this way, okay? The last ecumenical council that the Eastern Orthodox Church had was where where the papal legates of uh, Pope uh, Hadrian I sent legates. That's in Nicaea II. Uh, Nicaea to 787. Uh, since then, the Orthodox Church has met in councils at various times um, with imperial help to uh, dogmatize certain doctrines, you know, like uh, on the issue of the, uh, on the theology of the Heshikastic practice of Gregory Palamas, um, those Palamite councils, there's also a big council. Uh, it, it wasn't big in size, but it, it, it's, it's, mo it's more known for its character. It was held in Jerusalem in the 17th century, 1672, uh, the Council of Jerusalem. At that council, uh, the, the Orthodox hierarchs of the East basically ratified what's called the Confession of Docetius. And in that confession, there's an admission of purgatory as plain as day. <laughs> um, I mean, it, I mean, any of your uh, listeners could look it up. Uh, just type in "confession of Docetius." Uh, that's uh, D O S I T H E O S, um, and you'll see in one of those decrees, uh, it talks about the post-mortem suffering, and that, and even uses the word satisfaction satisfaction for sins um and it also says that the prayers and the and the almsgiving of the faithful who are alive help can help and aid in there so i i whenever i run across an eastern orthodox um you know who tells me that they don't believe in purgatory my first question is here you have a council where all the high, all the patriarchs accepted it it's accepted in Russia. It's you know it's it's accepted as a, one of the uh, is it's accepted as uh, one of the symbolic books and the catech larger catechism of Filaret in in, in uh, of Moscow and and uh, and, and, and you know in, in Russian spirituality. Here you have this council that basically teaches purgatory, the sum the substance of purgatory. I, why would you deny purgatory? And so, uh, you know, one of the one of the English world's main dialogue, uh, uh, you know, those commissioned dialogue with the Catholics, Metropolitan Callistos, where he has basically said that this is not a real dividing issue. So, but like you said before, how do you take all the comp competition and all the diverse wills and bring them into unity? That's really the Achilles heel uh, that, that, that you, you, know, you, 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 you just mentioned it. They don't know how to bring all of this into one uh, uh, belief system that compels them to say, oh, I must believe the, the, the Council of Jerusalem. 
you know, I hear from priests that it's ecumenical. Uh, Metropolitan, Metropolitan Kalistos Ware says that it's basically a pan-Orthodox synod. Uh, I know that in Constantinople, they accept that council. But is it at the level where everyone accepts it? Apparently not. I was just thinking because I just uh, unlocked uh, Ryan's interview with Father Ripperger on the precision, oh, yeah. the problems of theology, and going. So, what are you saying is Catholics don't have a monopoly on not precision and lack of knowledge in their own religion? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I won't get into Philoque because I know I, uh, you did it with Brother Andre, and I made a video of that I haven't unlocked it yet. So, I'll I'll, I'll keep us from another fifty-five minutes of that, which was. Great. You don't have to, I don't have to go into that one again because you nailed it on that thing. Um, what was I going to, what was going to say? Uh, oh, you, you mentioned about the Catholic, the Catholics that come back over to the Orthodox see because maybe too much Mariology. There's been a few, I guess you say like miracles. Like I remember what was it the, a uh, couple months ago of, uh, was it oil coming out of our lady's icon eyes? Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, was that, that a was that an Eastern Catholic Church or was that an Orthodox Church? I want to say it was Orthodox of some sort. I don't think it was Roman. It wasn't under the Pope, but uh, I was going with is that are the miracles like that or uh, things that happen like that common in Eastern yeah. Orthodoxy? Yeah, I, you know, I, I I don't know. This is one of those areas where. Uh, God has really kept the files of the uh, in the file cabinet hidden away from us. You know, why does he allow these miracles, uh, in, in, you know, in, in sort of different communions? You know, because historically, uh, theologically, miracles have a function sort of to, to, to ratify and confirm. Yeah. You know? um, but we do see miracles happening in the Eastern Orthodox Church and uh, not just the Eastern Orthodox Church, but the... Uh, the the Coptic Orthodox Church and I think even the uh, from my recollection the Armenian uh, Church which I think uh, they're in communion with the Syriac Orthodox Church anyway um, it could be that some of these icons that they have are so old that they were from a time when they were in communion with with Rome um, and so it has that potential um, but my personal view is that what this tells us is that uh, God has not uh, caged the miraculous to one communion. It's, I don't know any other way out of it because it's, it would seem to be intellectually more neat um, to, to just have miracles in the, in the Holy Roman Catholic church. Uh, but you know, God is doing all sorts of things, you know, and uh, it, I, I want to say that it was a few months ago that I heard about an icon that was exuding mirror. Uh, it was ex exuding mirror from, from, from its, uh, from the top of the icon. It was streaming yeah. down. But I, my recollection was that it was a, uh, it was a, it was a Eastern Catholic church, okay. but I, I do know, that it happens in the the Orthodox Church as well, um, so that's one of those things where <laughs> my salvation can't depend on solving it because <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I can't solve. It. But it it is pretty it it is mind boggling, um, 
you know, I know that there are some Orthodox skeptics, you know, there are, in other words, there are some people, there are some Orthodox Christians who, who uh, question some of these miracles because um, you can kind of prepare some of these things. Uh, and, you know, there's, there's been people who have said you could actually, uh, you know, douse this stuff onto icons and then have it exude later in, in a warmer temperature. But, you know, I, 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 I'm not more, I'm, I'm, not, I'm less of a skeptic now uh, with a lot of these things. But here's what I do know. There are plenty of miracles in the, in the Catholic Church. So, you know, if, if God was intending on t telling us something, uh, we, we should, it's the, the Catholic miracles, the Eucharistic miracles, the miracles of the saints, uh, the incorrupt bodies, that is a major force to reckon with. And I, I think a lot of Catholics should spend time uh, buying literature on these things because there's just so much evidence for some of these supernatural occurrences. Oh, yeah, Joan Carroll Cruz, you can just get her whole library on that. Yeah. Um, yep. What would it, what would it, have you ever posed that to Orthodox guys, uh, the Corruptibles, the Eucharistic Miracles? Yeah. I haven't, I haven't because th there's just so much to go on a seesaw back and forth okay. with that because they, they have their incorrupt, you know, I think, uh, you know, John of Shanghai, that John Maximovich in California, San Francisco, you've got, uh, they've got, you know, they've just got a lot. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it, it is a force to reckon with, but um, Catholics have always had uh, an equal force, if not a greater force. I think that, you know, the miracle of, uh, the Eucharistic miracle of uh, Lanciano, I think if I'm pronouncing it correctly, uh, that's like one of the, that's, it's, it's there, it's to this day, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's pretty amazing. So that's a confirmation that when Catholics uh, gather around a priest, that uh, we have the holy, precious blood and body of our God and Savior. Yeah, that was amazing. I, one, one day I would like to go see it there. Yeah, one if day. I could get the money one day, I would love to go there. Yeah. <laughs> if anybody wants to fly us all out there for like a, you know, SF. Get yeah, the, yeah, yeah, that's great. Give it a shot. Larry, <laughs> <laughs> uh, appreciate it, man. Uh, thanks for your time. Uh, maybe next time we'll go into uh, things like, uh, if you're airport, uh, what oh, the Popes have said before the splits. Oh, yeah, 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 um, absolutely. Anytime, man, we just prepare it and uh, I'm, I'm, my door is always open. I appreciate it. It's, it's actually my fault, guys. I asked Eric about uh, know, two months ago to do this, and it's now 2020. It took me a year to get into it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it, brother, and uh, you have a good night, and uh, take care. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. God bless, bud. God bless you.